Hey everybody and welcome to The Post, a Redemption Church podcast where every week, post-service, post-weekend, post-sermon, we dive in deeper and hopefully give you, our listener, a guidepost in your midweek to help you further connect to Jesus for life change. I am your host, J.P. Gaylord, pastor of media and production here at Redemption. And today we have with us, Justin Kemmer. We're back. We are back. And Josh Tovey. Week three. Week three. This is actually happening. Uh, I'm pretty happy about this. Uh, Among other topics today, we will be unpacking Jonah, the entire book. Uh, Well, not the entire book, but a good portion of it. So let's dive in and see what God has for us. Welcome to The Post. Right, today, before we get to the serious questions on Jonah, I think there are a lot of people who are having a difficult Monday. And uh, as pastors, Justin, Josh, I would love to have you just take a moment to minister to those hurting Lions fans who thought maybe, just maybe, they would show Matt Stafford that they they were better off without him. What What kind of comfort uh condolence might the bible have to offer to lions fans today um as a lions fan my whole life more you know i don't ever get my hopes off the lions i actually watch with intrigue about how they will find a way to blow the game that's been my pattern majority of my life but i do believe they'll go 0 and 17 this year i believe that's a legit thing i'm calling it right now we're seven games in right justin we're seven games in and i think they're gonna go Owen 17. I think the coaching staff needs time. I think they have crazy injuries, at least on the defensive side of the ball, and they're not very good. So they're trying to beat their own records? Yeah. So now that that it's a 17 game season, there's there's an opportunity to. Might as well have both records. New records. See, you can win the Super Bowl and have different kinds of records as winners, but you can also have records as losers. The key is just having a record. Yeah. I mean, first overall. First overall pick in the draft. I mean, that's part of the season as well. So, we need the so first ten picks in the draft. They're just competing for a for a different prize. Um, I'd, I'd invite everybody to just become a Bills fan. Uh, uh, we we've shared similar pains, but we don't share the same pain right now because the Bills know what they're doing. Hey, at least the Lions played a little bit of video games yesterday. They did, I think, an onside kick. They did two fake punts. They were really cre- really creative yesterday. It was like, you know, when you're playing your friends in Madden as kids I on will, Super Nintendo. I will care about that category of creativity when it actually earns points in a football game. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, great discussion up to this point about the Lions and about their future. Uh, any words of comfort from the Bible or are Lions fans just out of luck? I'm not sure God's on our side. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I w- historically, I would say, where's the proof that this divine enigma is on our team? Good point. Yeah. Way to draw the sermon series yep. into this. I appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, Lions fans, you're just going to have to to keep praying. Uh, that being said, let us dive into, uh, the passage from this past week, which is Jonah, uh, chapters one through four. And Josh, you did such a wonderful job last week of 
fitting everything within the the two minute time period for the breakdown, I'm going to ask you to do that again. Uh, would you give us a summary of what we're looking at, uh, what we talked about in two minutes? Yes. So the book of Jonah, oh, we know Jonah is a prophet who was asked by God to go to Nineveh. And we just talked about how Jonah ran away to do his own thing. And we talked about what is God's heart uh, when we rebel like Jonah. And we gave a breakdown of the book, which I think is helpful. The book has four chapters. Chapter one, running from God. Chapter two, running into God. Chapter three, running with God. And chapter four, trying to run God. And we just saw the breakdown of the key verse being Jonah 4.2. And we'll talk more about that later. But we talked about God's mercy, God's grace, and God's love towards those who rebel. And Jonah, again, asked to go to Nineveh. He says no. He goes to Tarshish or tries to get to Tarshish, goes down in a boat, uh, down down in the sea, down into a fish, right? Things aren't really going well for him. And then, and then God gets him in the fish and gets him alone. And we see one of the most, probably one of the most unique prayer times in the whole Bible based on location inside the belly of a fish. And God ultimately ends up using the message that he gives Jonah in chapter three to save a city that's incredibly wicked. And we can spend a lot of time talking about how, how cruel they were. Um, but they were very cruel and very, very mean. And, um, and God saves the city with an eight-word message. And it doesn't seem like it would break through anyone's heart today, but that's not how the Spirit really works. And he broke through. And Jonah ends with being upset. And he's angry that God would move in these people's lives. And um, he just doesn't care for them at all. And part of that is because they're, they're enemies of Israel. And so that's really the quick story, you know, in, in the four chapters, I would say. And, but ultimately we just saw God were going on a massive pursuit. I mean, look at all the things he did. He, he appointed so many things. Think about the storm, think about the lots, think about the fish. We talk about chapter four with the, with the plant and the worm and, and the sun, like or the scorching wind. He did all these things all to pursue his own. And I think that's a key of the whole book. Very good. Um, uh, many of us know the story of Jonah from Sunday school. You you mentioned this and, you know, Jonah being in the belly of the whale, which seems to be the Sunday school uh, focus in, in a lot of cases. The thing that really stuck out to me this past week was, I guess, really chapter four and how Jonah kind of ends the book. Uh, really disappointed, really upset. And since we're going through the series Divine Enigma, which you have divined, uh, uh, defined as heaven meeting earth, you have this moment. Uh, well, or a series of moments where God breaks into Jonah's life in really miraculous ways. And yet the end of the story ends with a question where Jonah just really isn't, he's not feeling. <laughs> His life is not transformed at this point from where it was in chapter one. Uh, I'm just wondering if, if you guys can speak to that a little bit. Uh, many people may be looking for uh, an experience with God, hoping that that will be transformation, but it doesn't seem to be automatic as we see in the book of Jonah. Yeah, I think we see God's patience with Jonah is so clear and evident. At the end, Jonah is so angry. He says, I want to die. And God said, well, uh, why are you so angry? And why in the world do you want to die? You know, and he just is so upset at God's character in God's really capability, which he knew how God would move and how God would work. And that's why he ran. We, we just, he made that clear in 4-2. And so, man, he's so upset with God, right? And so, Justin, I'll let you jump in there. Well, I, I think the last week. So you go to Daniel 3, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Uh, their trust 
their belief, their foundation was in the character of God, not his capabilities, though they recognized his capabilities. God can, he's capable, he, he will, their hope was in him, but if he doesn't. And so for Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego and Daniel three, they didn't shift off the character of God, recognized his capabilities, but their complete faith was in his character. Come to Jonah, God's character is actually a negative in Jonah's mind. He knows what he's capable of and he actually sees the character. And in chapter four, he gives the why that he ran. I ran because I knew you, God. I knew who you are. I know who you are. And your character is love. Your character is grace. Your character is kindness. You are actually going to relent if Nineveh repents. And so here, he, you, know, you, you mentioned it as far as just what they deserved. Jonah didn't believe that's what they deserved. But it's crazy how oftentimes the character of God can even create two different responses in us. One where we press in or the other where because of his character, we actually, we actually run away in, in the case of Jonah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so true. And Jonah's heart, um, he is not happy, right? And it makes me wonder too, do I ever consider myself better than others? Because I, I think, to be honest, this is a very much a, there's very much a racial tension here for Jonah, right? Where he, he's elevated himself to believing that he's better and deserves more deserves God's character and capability in the way that he wants it, but wants to decide and dictate how Nineveh does. And I think that's a small way that we elevate ourselves as being God, to be honest. We want to be on the throne to decide who gets what. And it's obviously that never is going to go well. No, certainly not. Um, What... I, uh, let's draw this, I guess, a little more into to practical application because I think, you know, we as Christians have a tendency to kind of uh, revert back to Sunday school answers and say, oh, God's giving somebody grace or mercy. That's a good thing. We love to see, you know, in air quotes, sinners come to repentance. Uh, I get this sense that we're probably a, more, a lot more like Jonah than we'd like to admit what would that look like? Uh, how, how do we kind of uh, demonstrate the same attitude that Jonah has uh, in our day-to-day lives? Well, I think there's aspects. You, you see evil all around. And so we can be people that are driven by, by justice, not necessarily even God's view of, of what is just and unjust, but what, what we see. And so different things that we see throughout our, our day, even, it's, even if it's relationally within our own home, I have three boys. Each one of them would love to be the, the judge and executioner of each other when they have an injustice against them. And that's a piece of Jonah here. But what we don't realize in our own lives, if it's relationally in the home, in the workplace, even the evil that we see around in our world, we're contributors to that. So Jonah's running here and he's, he's Nineveh in a way. He has the same heart, the same evil, uh, the same 
natural tendency to run away from God, which he physically and spiritually does in this book, not realizing that both he and Nineveh have the same brokenness and need the same savior. And here he's going to simply say in a practical way, I'm better than you. So how often do we say that in a day-to-day or think that? Because we're not, we're not willing to say that out loud. Right, right. I'm actually better than you. I deserve better as, as well. And then that from the heart can even determine our behavior relationally with, with one another. Mm-hmm. I want to come back to the, the fact that Jonah has this deep experience. He's talking with God. Like God is clearly communicating with him. He is seeing direct signs of God's presence. And yet at the end of the book, he isn't transformed. So for somebody who, who sees their need for transformation in life and is thinking, man, if I can just get an experience with God, everything will change. I mean, that's kind of the, the motto of the church, right? Jesus changes everything. What does it actually take to see transformation in life if it's not simply the Lord showing up? Yeah, I think for Jonah, there's a there has to be a resting in the character and capabilities, and that and there's this tension of running from the presence of God versus just resting in God's presence, and, and I and I think that's where we want to be. I think we want to rest in His presence. I think everything that we actually are searching for in the world, that the what our hearts desire will actually be found in the presence of God. But for Jonah, he was running from that, right? And so, I I think for us, it's like hey, falling on our face before the Lord, being in a spot where we are with the Lord, right? And we get to receive his grace, his mercy, his relenting love or his steadfast love and his just relenting from disaster in our life. And it's just like, that brings about an incredible humility uh, to receive who the Lord actually is because we'll be reminded of who we are, right? And we're not, we're not, if we don't hang out in his presence, we have to come up with ourselves who we are, right? But in the gospel, we learn we learn who we are. And I think that's an important piece of, Hey, let's not run from God's presence. Let's be a people that are going to run to God's presence. Very good. Justin, any thoughts? I think, I think some of the, the how is just even going back to his prayer in Jonah chapter two. First thing he did was he called out. He was in distress. He, he was helpless and he begins to, to cry out to the Lord. Um, and so he does pursue the presence of the Lord and, and even our run, our running away from the Lord is, is foolish. You can go to Psalm 139. Even if you're running away to the depths of the sea, <laughs> can you get away from God? No, no, he's, he's there. And so there's even a couple just words that stand out to me where in his prayer, he says, remember. And so the word rem- to remember, um, even when you think of communion, do this in remembrance of me. Rem- to remind ourselves on a daily basis or to remember the things of the past become so important to um, inform our present and give us hope for the, pu- for the future. Uses words like sacrifice and then just simply in the end that salvation belongs to, to the Lord. And so you're, you're rehearsing these, these truths. You're, you're calling out to the Lord you're being reminded or reminding yourself um, of his presence, of his, his goodness. And then even the word sacrifice and thanksgiving, 
And so those, those are words that even in, in the presence of the Lord that should come out of our mouths, what we are thankful for. And then even in view of what God has sacrificed for us, what we then in turn, because of who he is and what he has done can, can sacrifice for, for him. Mm. I think there's a level of honesty in Jonah too. That's refreshing. Right. And it seemed like God had to get him to a spot where there's nowhere to run for him to finally be honest. And what would it look like for us to have an honesty before the Lord about where we're at with all things related to life by us running to him versus us waiting for him to get us to a spot to where there's nowhere for us to go. Like, you know, we talked to heavily about in storms often or here in Jonah two in the belly of the fish, God has gotten him below the surface to do a work on his heart right? To realign his heart again with, with the Lord, um, to do a spiritual surgery. And it's like, man, what, what if we could just go and bask in his presence and, and be on the forefront of those things to avoid even the storms and just live in a place of honesty. Cause I think this, this prayer is very honest. Yeah. I, I love that thought and that word. Um, probably cause I know that that even in my own life, who, who wants to be honest at times? Who wants to be honest with themselves? Who wants to be honest with your spouse or those closest to you or anyone else for that matter? Because it's a vulnerable place. You're actually putting it out on, on the table and not knowing necessarily what you're going to receive in, in return. But here we are in a, in a safe place if we're in the presence of the Lord to just be completely honest. And it could just even be the practice of saying it out loud. Even what we know is true in our own hearts, in our own minds, saying it out loud to the Lord. And sometimes we could, we could stop short of even vocalizing that, verbalizing that to the Lord because we think he already knows. He knows. It's his character. He, he knows all. He knows who I am. But I believe even in verbalizing it, because I've heard it said this way, that even coming before the Lord in prayer and, and saying these things, and in this example of being honest, sure, God knows, but when we start to speak these things, verbalize these things to him, then we actually know that he knows without a doubt because we told him, we, we brought it to him. So there's, there's no mystery even in, in doubt in our own mind anymore that, yeah, he knows, but does he hear me? Yeah, he knows, but does he care? Where we've actually brought our cares to him and know he knows because we've told him. We were honest with him about ourselves, about where we're at, what our struggles are. I think that could just be a simple practical piece even in, in how we're pursuing the presence of God. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think uh, it, it is hard to verbalize some of those things because you're committing yourself to a path and a view on... Uh, attitudes on activities in your life and saying, okay, if I confess this as sin before the Lord, then it means I actually believe this is sin. Uh, and I can't really backtrack on that and say, well, maybe it wasn't. Uh, and so uh, you're right. I think it has an effect in your prayer life, both to make sure that you and God are on the same page, but even just to make it concrete in your own heart and say, I admit this is sin. It, it sounds as we're talking about Jonah and what's going on with Jonah, uh, there, there are kind of two observations uh, I think I have, and let me know what your thoughts are. Um, 
It sounds like Jonah maybe has never actually recognized his need for the Lord. Like he just grew up as a Jew and the Lord was using him as a prophet and he just assumed, I must be better than everybody else. Or he just assumed like, I'm I'm doing the right things. And there was never kind of this, you know, as you were talking about Thanksgiving and, and gratitude, Justin, there's never really been a whole lot of that for Jonah potentially. The other thing that, that I thought of, uh, and this is kind of two questions at once, I guess, is the difference between trusting God in situations, which Jonah clearly does in chapter two. He's down at the bottom of the ocean. Uh, it's very graphic in terms of like the seaweed wrapping around his head uh, and just the hopelessness that he would feel there. He confesses his need for God to intervene in that situation, but that may be different uh, than confessing your need for for God in your life as a whole. Now, I think God can step in and, and come with salvation for situations, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you've, you've trusted in God for salvation as kind of an overarching whole. What do you guys think about that? I think the honesty that Jonah has in chapter two, although he doesn't necessarily end well, I do want to confess that because he's angry with God. He's angry at God's character. We talked about that. And then also what he knew that God would do. But I just also want to say, like, I, I think we lack honesty um, in the culture, in our world, in West Michigan. But I think we've often allowed the culture of a lack of honesty that we see in our world and our city um, work its way into the into the church, capital C church, and dare I say our own church, to where we... We lack an honest. We lack an honesty about where we really at, where we are really at, and so we make sure we have our best look on on Sunday mornings. We make sure everyone's together, but then we go back behind the four walls of our home, and we are not always in a great a great place. And so my 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 question that I rest with is why do we allow dishonesty to reign? Like why why what's keeping us from really jumping in and doing what Jonah actually did? And, and maybe even inviting other people into that. And what kind of impact could the Capital C Church have on West Michigan if we were a people to say, hey, this is actually really safe because God is safe, right? And so therefore we're safe to be honest and to put all your pains, your hurts, your sins, and just lay them bare before others to just have a heart for you that want to see victory in your life and uh, committed to praying for you. And I just wonder what we miss out on our own spiritual growth because we allow, to be honest with you, the idols of our city to win out on our own hearts. So uh, let me get this straight. You're, you're talking kind of just about a transparency within the church mm -hmm. instead of putting on the, the good, oh, you know, happy Sunday, everything's great face. Just being willing to say, hey, things are not going well in my life. Hey, I'm, I'm not winning the battle with anger or with lust or with overeating or, or any of those things and yep. actually being willing to ask people to pray. Yeah. So I'm talking about basic Christian biblical ideas. But, you know, and it's, it's, it's frustrating because I see it in my own heart too. I see this level of protection. I want to protect myself, right? But I also wonder if I just laid my heart bare. I'm just mean we do it before everybody, but if the, who are you? opening up your life too, because if, if it's a nobody, um, you're going to be discouraged. 
Yeah, that's good because uh, I've heard for, for years pastors, seminary, seminary professors lay into the lack of transparency and authenticity uh, that everyone just says, oh, I'm fine. But there's not really, we, I think we inherently understand that like I don't just meet you know, a new visitor in the lobby and they're like, hey, how's it going? And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> here's all the sin in my life. Like there's something about us in relationships where we understand that's not necessarily the best way to go about this. Uh, <laughs> I love what you're saying is, is it's not necessarily be that transparent with everybody in every situation, but at least ask yourself the question, who am I being transparent with? Whether it's freedom groups, uh, whether it's uh, groups. small groups, whether it's uh, trusted friends and mentors, whether, you know, whatever it is, just make sure that that's happening. And Justin, I don't know if you want to do a quick plug for if somebody's like, oh my gosh, I don't have anybody in my life. How do I find someone? <laughs> uh, well, you can always download the Redemption Church app which will allow you to connect in multiple ways, but, but one would be to, to, to click our groups tab and, and sign up for one, one of those groups. Um, and, and that's the heartbeat really behind those groups, but it, but it is a heartbeat of our church and, and we're failing as a church if we're not after discipleship, accountability, transparency, vulnerability. It, it certainly starts with us as leaders, um, but that, that's how we want to rally around each other and, and even bringing it back to, to Jonah, he, could he, was this rock bottom for, for him? You, you, would have, you would have thought that this was rock bottom, but then you see his heart in chapter four and, and maybe being in the belly of a whale, it wasn't. Um, and I think nobody wants to hit rock bottom, but it certainly requires us to be broken down, mm -hmm. to get low as low as, as we, we really can spiritually, mentally, physically for the Lord then to, to piece us back, back together. Um, cause oftentimes we're, we're protecting ourselves, self-protection, you know, whatever, whatever that looks like in our lives, different things that we put in place to protect ourselves actually from the pain of, of hitting a rock bottom or getting low, but it's in that position where where the Lord wants us because then the only one who can protect us is him. And he will. Mm. If we put ourselves in a vulnerable position, like, like Josh is speaking about the honesty, the transparency in wise situations, um, we're putting ourselves in a position where there's only one person that can protect us, can take care of us. And that is the Lord. And will we trust in not only his capabilities, but in his character that he, he will easy to say, I'm going to trust him. Um, but, but will we, I think this is a, an angle that we're going to hit on a little bit in 2022, just on Sunday mornings and stuff. But this is an area that I think we need to grow as a church and, um, just to, this is having a heart and a care for one another. So just, you know, you'll never, we'll never arrive as a church, right? No, no church is ever mm -hmm. going to arrive. We're, we're all sinners. We all have our struggles, but man, it would it'd be really incredible to be a church, to confess one day we're a church where, where people can spiritually find a home to say, I can confess my sin here and people are committed to helping me become more like Christ. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, 
we're going to change gears a little bit uh, with another topic. Before <laughs> we do that, though, I do just want to say that here at The Post, we want to respond to your questions. So if you've got anything you'd like to ask in the light of the sermon on Sunday, or even anything at all, serious, maybe a little more lighthearted, please write us. Uh, let us know you're out there. You can connect via email. Uh, you can write to jp at redemptionmi.org, or you can send us a message on social media, which is redemptionmi on Facebook or redemptionchurchmi on Instagram. All right, that being said, the last question we have for today is this. Uh, Josh, you had brought up in the sermon that it's easy to get distracted by questions of science or means and plausibility. Uh, it's This is not the first time, uh, for example, with Jonah and being swallowed by a fish, that somebody might be able to look at that and say, wait a minute, is that really possible? Uh, and your point to that in the sermon was, that's not the point of the story. <laughs> yeah. uh, I just wanted to uh, talk about that a little bit more. Uh, how do we get distracted by questions of, of means or questions of, of science and trying to reconcile it with every detail of the biblical account? I think the things can align, actually, science and, and, and biblical truth. I think those things can align. And, and I think often we get distracted by the greatness of the fish and it leads us away from the greatness of what God is doing in the book of Jonah. Um, I think we get distracted by the physical presence of the fish and we lose heart of what, of just the spiritual revival that's actually happening in Jonah's heart. And I, I just mentioned like we, if God can do this thing with the fish, doesn't that just equal, then of course he did the Red Sea of, of course he held, we talked about the sun standing still. I mean, the, the scientific stuff that has to happen there is insane about the God holding the sun still. That could have had, I'm not a scientist, but that could have had a lot of problems for the rest of the world. Right. Yeah, I, I did a little bit of research, uh, and actually if God stopped the rotation of the earth, I mean, I guess he could have stopped it gradually, uh, but the sun stood still, which leads you to believe that he would have just stopped the rotation of the earth according to our scientific understanding of how this works. That would have created uh, winds of greater than a thousand miles per hour at the equator, which would have leveled any man-made structure and killed any person on the, the face of the earth. So uh, there are also some other things about uh, when the earth's rotation stops, the, the, the waters redistribute over the face of the earth. and So it's and crazy it, stuff, right? But then people want to say is people want to say, see, it can't happen because science. And what we're saying is, no, God is, God is creator and outside actually science to do what it is that he wants to do for his own will. We, gotta, we forget that he spoke creation into being. So if he's spoken into being, he certainly can hold it together in the palm of his hands, which is exactly what, what he does, right? And so I don't think the book of Jonah is any different than any of the other divine enigma kind of stories we've seen in, in this series. They're all crazy. And that was the point for us to hit these stories, to learn more about who this God is and why would this kind of God who doesn't need us desire a relationship with us? Yeah, I mean, it he created science and so he certainly has his hand completely on his creation um, and I don't think he's bound by what he himself has created he's being, outside it being science he's, yeah. he's, he's outside of it uh, <laughs> now what he created is is in order and and certainly there is just an unbelievable really science in itself is miraculous. Just the depths of it 
and how God has designed, how he has created, but he's certainly not, not bound by it. And so we look at these divine enigmas and we can get caught up in the enigma when the whole purpose of the series is actually to get caught up and to stand in awe of, of the divine in, in what he can do. Um, even through this series, I, I've loved the picture of the sun standing still. Yes, even from the scientific elements to it, because this picture that you get is not that the sun stood still, but the earth had to stand still, which just has this picture that, that God's got the whole world in his hands. Um, that's just the picture that, I, that I've loved, that, I, that I've kind of kept in view that this whole series. Mm. I think one of the keys to the Jonah story here is just remembering we get distracted by who's the key character in the story, right? And we look at the title of the book, uh, but the truth of the matter is it is the Lord who is the key character in the story of Jonah and just what he's willing to do to massively pursue those he loves, right? Or protect, we've seen in this series as well. Yeah. Right? He's, he's going to do whatever he wants to do. Yeah. So as I'm reading through my Bible uh, in the mornings or whatever, and I come across a story like Jonah or even just the, the uh, how do you call it? The, the multiplication of bread and fishes by Jesus. And I realized that there are kind of some scientific questions about that. Um, what do I do as a Christian? Because uh, I don't want to, you know, like you said, I, there probably is a way to reconcile science and faith. Uh, but how do I keep my eyes on the main point, the main character in the story? I think our faith is greatly challenged by the stories in the Bible. You could talk about the fish and loaves. We could talk about Jesus walking on water. We could talk about Jesus controlling the storm with the, with the, the disciples in the boat. Like there's, let's talk about him walking out of the tomb. Like the reality is like, if the tomb is true, if the tomb was empty, in faith, that catapults every other thing in the scriptures is, is nothing for him, right? And so for me, it's having a simple faith and believing that he is who he says he is, right? And if I, it's a childlike faith is what he says, right? He talks about coming like a child, right? And so just having this trust, this acknowledgement and agreement with who he declares to be, I think is vital. And I think science does help fill in different gaps for me. But I also think there's things that science can't explain. Mm-hmm. How does science explain someone walking on water? They try or the fish or the sun standing still. That's not possible. Or yeah. Yeah. Humanly speaking, it doesn't make sense, but that's where faith actually does come in. And it has to go back in the gospel to the, to the reality of the cross and the tomb, right? Because if the, if the tomb wasn't empty, then none of this actually matters. But because it was empty, that gives, that motivates my faith to respond in a very specific way. So it seems like it's a question of prioritizing and uh, looking at the right things first. So rather than saying, oh man, I wonder if God could really create a fish that could swallow a person for three days. The right question is really, well, Jesus rose from the dead and walked out of the tomb. I'm willing to admit there are going to be a lot of other parts of this that I don't understand, but because that is true, I'm not going to worry about what seems to hold some weird, awkward tension. Yeah. I think we're just going to believe that he can, he did that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've heard it said and I borrowed it and I say it often is that we believe the unbelievable start from Genesis, go all the way to revelation. What has happened? What is still 
to happen is unbelievable. And, and, and yet, because God in Jesus is so personal and he's entered into our lives here on earth, life, death, and resurrection, we have in Jesus the reason to believe the unbelievable. Is that not the gospel though? I mean, the gospel's unbelievable. The gospel sounds ridiculous. That God sent his son who's rang on the throne, came down to earth, was born of a virgin. Let's just stop right there. Like that, that just doesn't. Yeah, not possible. That's not even possible, right? So if, if we believe the gospel, we, we have to believe everything else the scriptures are saying. Because what we believe is nuts, to be honest, right? On some yeah. level, it, it requires faith, you know? Yeah. Well, that seems like is an appropriate a place to stop as, as any, uh, the gospel. Uh, <laughs> we just want to encourage you again to, to go back, rehearse the gospel uh, that you have believed. Look in the Bible for the gospel uh, because with all of the other tensions uh, and questions that could come up, this is the one we need to get right. Uh, we want to thank you for joining us here on The Post. If you haven't already, we'd encourage you to click follow, subscribe, or like on your podcasting app to make sure you get notified when we release an episode. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear those as well. Just connect with us via email at jp at redemptionmi.org, or you can send us a message on social media, which is at redemptionmi on Facebook or redemptionchurchmi on Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.